a young tourist is backpacking through the highlands of Scotland, and he stops at a pub to get a drink. The only people in there are a bartender and an old man nursing a beer. He orders a pint and sits there in silence for a while, and suddenly the old man turns him and goes, You see this bar? I built this bar with my bare hands, from the finest wood in the county. I gave it more love and care than my own child. But do they call me McGregor the bar builder? No! He points out the window. You see that stone wall out there? I built that stone wall with my bare hands. I found every stone and placed them just so. But do they call me McGregor the stone builder? No! He points out the window. You see that pier on the lake out there? I built that pier with my bare hands, drove the pilings against the tide of the sand. Plink, ba plink. But do they call me McGregor the pier builder? No! But you f one goat! What is up? Welcome back to Fondling Cardboard. I'm your host, Mike Lacusta, aka The Golf Card Collector. Last episode, we talked about Steve Nash and his influence on my journey through basketball. But today, we're getting back to golf carts. So you're probably sitting there scratching your head, saying, what on earth was that opening about the old Scottish guy who f***ed a goat? What that old Scottish guy faced was basically an identity crisis. This guy did something, or was something, that's so unique that that's what he became. And that's going to be the theme of today's episode. I'm going to get into a story of the identity crisis that I had as a preteen and how there's a parallel with a PGA Tour member who just made his comeback last week at the Hero World Challenge. So I've talked about my childhood, traveling to different towns, going to seven different elementary schools by the time I reached fifth grade and with that came a lot of adjustment a lot of introductions a lot of first impressions and when I finally landed in the town and the school where I would end up spending most of my childhood from about I don't know 11 11 years old and onward I was a little bit jaded about making these first impressions and I'll be the first to say I was a bit of a weirdo and when I showed up to my elementary school, I, <laughs> I wore something that made me really stand out. The summer before, I had been fishing with my dad in the Queen Charlotte Islands, which is a pretty remote place in Canada. My dad picked up this weird hat at the tackle shop. And this hat was uh, literally... Had a, had a fish sticking out of the front, a whole fish head made of fabric stuffed with cotton or whatever. On the top had a little fish fin, and on the back it had a fish tail. And when I say it was sticking out, it wasn't like an inch. Like this was literally sticking out three inches in the front, another three inches in the back for the tail. And it's not like it was a camo colored hat that could sort of blend in. No, it was bright red. And so within a few days at my new school, I had earned myself a nickname. 
and I was fish head. Now, it didn't matter if I loved to play basketball. It didn't matter if I had other nerdy hobbies, like playing Magic the Gathering, or bowling. I was part of a bowling team. Or any other part of my personality that I could really start to shape my identity around as a young guy. Now, at first, I really leaned into it. In fact, I even started introducing myself to kids as Fishhead, to the point where teachers had to say, you know, hey, Mike, you're new around here. You should probably tell others that your name is Mike. But all I really cared about was that this new home started to feel familiar, like people knew who I was, people who had spent years growing up together, and they they would look at me even though they might be laughing or whispering behind my back, that none of that really bugged me at the time. And it just, it, it made me feel like I belonged. Uh, you know, if you watch that old cartoon called Recess, I felt like I was one of those weird characters in the background who had some uniform that they wore in every episode. And it just kind of became part of the scene. But of course, as time went on, the novelty wore off. I started to settle into certain friend groups and people knew who I was. The stigma sort of started to vanish. And what I learned from that experience is that I showed up, I effed the goat, I became known as the fish head, and it was okay. When you find yourself in a bad or awkward situation, if it's not harming you, if it's not harming anything, lean into it. The guy in the beginning story Maybe he enjoyed effing that goat. I realize this has nothing to do with collectibles and, and cards. I mean, that hat's probably a collector's item, but I'm pretty sure my mom stole it out of my room when I was 12 or 13 years old and, and got rid of it. Obviously, this isn't a card story, but it opens the door for me to go in a couple different directions. Uh, one, I, I have this history with the outdoors. You know, I'll just throw this out there. I, I was on a on a trip out into the mountains, riding a horse out there for two weeks in the Yukon, which is way in the middle of nowhere. And I have these memories of looking at the beautiful scenery, the shrubs, the trees, the wildlife, bears and moose all around. And I was thinking about Magic the Gathering. I, I There's this weird goblin deck that I had a strategy I kept scheming over and over in my mind. And, and, and as beautiful as my surroundings were, I was getting these uh, dopamine hits and these adrenaline rushes, thinking about playing the game. Even when I am enjoying the outdoors, there's still that weird fish head boy within me. You can take the boy away from the fish hat, but you can't take the fish hat out of the boy. Now, in terms of golf and cards, I'm going to be getting into a golfer who's just made his return at the Hero World Challenge, and that's Will Zalatoris. He has his own fish hat story of when he first hit the scene. So let me get into just a quick summary of the Hero World Challenge and how things went for him and Tiger. So Tiger Woods made his return, and there was kind of a mix of expectation. Tiger Woods is always going to have this dominant energy when he shows up somewhere and this belief in himself and others will always believe in him so there will always be a narrative of is tiger going to win another major is he going to be competing against the best in the world but you really got to step back and look at it realistically he is what is he 
48 years old, and he's competing against guys in their prime who are dialed in. So that's why I say we need to think about it in perspective to temper our expectation. Tiger Woods really was going to succeed just simply by walking the course for four rounds, which we haven't seen him do in a long time showing that he can do that just the walking with minimal pain and and hopefully no signs of pain and to swing the club and just show some flashes of brilliance as he always does and he basically did exactly that he didn't come dead last i think he came 16th or 17th out of 20 yeah so he's competing against the best of the best um so nobody expected him to win uh he ended up even par i believe which basically was perfect he he had a couple good rounds under par and a a couple rounds over par and it and it evened out so it's definitely some stuff to build on now i wish i could say the same for our buddy will zalatoris will zalatoris fell flat on his face if i'm gonna be blunt i didn't watch the whole tournament i did watch um a little bit of coverage every now and then as well as some highlights will was definitely not covered on any of the highlight reels and even on the live coverage they never panned into him as far as i tuned in uh he shot something ridiculous like i think he was close to like 10 over par or something Uh, he came dead last by a lot of strokes and when you look at that you might think this is this is not looking good and he just came back from an injury so at least he has an excuse of being very rusty so the question is what is next for will zalatoris this guy hit the scene just popping and he i what was that back in 2020 i believe uh sorry if i got off off by a year uh but he came out qualified for the masters and he was battling and hanging around the top of the leaderboard every single round of that masters the the moment he hit the scene he was right up there i think he came solo second so he definitely hit the ground running and he ended up doing that basically for every major i think the open the British Open, I think that's the only one where he hasn't had a great showing. Like maybe he's come top 30 or top 40 or something like that. But all of the other three majors, he's come second place. He's come runner up uh, or, or runner up solo in the Masters. And the other two, I believe it was tied for second. But still, uh, as a as a guy in his first and second year on the PGA Tour, uh, there was some hype. There was buzz surrounding Will Zalatoris. And when you look back at when he first hit the scene, he, he looked younger. I mean, he's a young guy. He's, I think, early 20s, early mid 20s now. And he's go- he had a baby face. He still does. But back then, just his haircut it was kind of this uh, bright blonde bowl cut that sort of sort of flared out a little bit and was disheveled. And the guy that he resembled was Happy Gilmore's caddy. Now, Happy Gilmore's caddy, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, is this young kid who's doesn't he's out of place. I, I forget the actual scene how uh happy uh, meets his caddy i think it was something like this kid was just hanging out and he said hey kid you know grab my bag and just threw it at him and he was quiet he didn't say a lot he, didn't, he looked out of place uh now when i say all that i'm not saying that will zalatoris didn't know what he was doing because he's a pro he, he he can work his way around a golf course as good as anyone but that was his image that was his his fish hat all the kids call me fish head they, they were calling will zalatoris happy gilmore's caddy that that was what he was known for when he first moved into town. He had to get out. He had to grow out of that. He had to get past that. And Will Zalatoris got injured. With that injury, it created this buffer between the eras, in my eyes, of Will Zalatoris. From the rookie 
who was blowing up any day now he's going to get a win. I think he did actually get a win, actually, within his first couple of years. Not in his first rookie season, but the next season he won. Oh, I can't remember what it was, but he has one win under his belt. And the expectation was, what's next? He's going to go on a hot streak. Eventually, he's going to win a major. With this injury, it created separation between that narrative and what's next. And this wasn't a good start. And 2024 is going to be a pretty wild year of professional golf. The season is basically set in stone for the Live Golf League and the PGA Tour. But there's going to be a lot of announcements, a lot of drama, a lot of uh, commingling and speculation of what the schedules will look like in the future. And so for a guy like Will Zalatoris, everyone is watching. If he can bounce back from this bad showing and just hit the ground running in January, win an event, start racking up those runner-up finishes again. This is a guy who could get a big offer from Live Golf. This is a guy who could get drafted if some kind of team golf structure shows up for the PGA Tour. This is a guy who could prove the position that he made when Live Golf made him supposedly a big offer. And he stood by his morals and decided he didn't want to take that money and he wanted to grind his way on the PGA Tour. He wanted to build a legacy. He was all aboard the Rory McIlroy way of thinking. And it's not hard to be on that train when you're playing so hot. But now he's in a different place. Where is he going to go? Is it going to be one of his biggest regrets in his life? Is he going to end up being like Daniel Berger? They both won Rookie of the Year. They both played great golf. Daniel Berger is like three or 400 in the official world golf rankings list. And I don't even know if he's allowed to play on any PGA Tour events. Maybe he's qualified for, for one or two based on his past experience or past wins or whatever. But uh, I, th- I think Daniel Berger is going to have to start Monday qualifying. He resulted in that situation because of his injury that he had to take time off for. And let's get into some card talk. Daniel Berger, a guy that I made a bit of a move on. This is something I regret because I'm not a sports card investor. I was associated with a sports card strategy show, and I still am because I'm friends with Paul Hickey, who runs the network as well as NoOffSeason.com. And their philosophy, which I bought into to a minor degree, Although I think there was saving grace because every episode I would say, look, I'm not an investor. I'm not giving investing advice. And at the end of the day, I'm going to be showing off a dozen cards and 10 of them at least are going to be cards that probably aren't good investments that I overpaid for. And I just bought them because I love them. But those two out of 12, I would buy cards that I don't have attachment to they aren't nostalgic for me i don't even necessarily love the athlete and daniel berger is one of those because when he hit the scene what was that 2015 2017 something like that he was playing great his name was talked about a lot as as a hot young guy i just never gravitated towards him i even remember one time cheering against him coming down the stretch i think it was the u.s open that gary woodland won Anyways, I digress. I bought two Daniel Berger Goodwin Champions cards, which were 2016, and it was his autograph. And so since he wasn't printed in any other upper deck sets, this is his only card. It's his only on-card autograph. He has the base autograph and the Gaudi autograph. 
And of course, for the bass, there's also an inscribed version that's hand numbered out of 50. Now, I bought two of the base autograph cards for, I don't know, $12, $15 US, plus some shipping and stuff. So I, I, I invested into this guy that I didn't care about. And I thought, I'm going to get these graded. And uh, there's whispers that his injury is getting better. He's going to come back. He's going to come top 10. He's going to win an event. I'm going to be able to sell these for five times what I paid for them. Or so was the plan. So I sent them off to PSA. They both got Gem Min 10. So what am I doing now? I've got these two Gemmin 10 cards that I don't care about. So they're just going to gather dust in a box until I'm ready to sell them for a profit. But I start to get a little itchy, a little scratchy. I have my save search still for Daniel Berger. And what pops up? Another PSA 10 of his base autograph, except this is the one numbered out of 50. And it's inscribed, Rookie of the Year Ah, so what do I do? Do I double down? Of course I do. I mean, I don't believe in shill bidding, but I do believe in bidding up a card if you have the intent to pay for it, if you win, with not really being attached to the outcome. So if I throw out a bid for this card and I win it at $45, then so be it, because I don't want that card to be worth less than $45. I'm willing to pay that, and sure enough, I do, and I win it. If somebody else had bid 50 and they wanted above me, I would have been fine. But no, I win it and now I have three of these damn cards that I still own to this day. So lesson learned, don't play that damn investing game even if you have a strategy in mind that you think will work because at the end of the day, I would rather have the $100 or whatever it is, including the grading fees and shipping and all that jazz than having these three Daniel Berger cards that I don't care about. Now, as for Will Zalatoris, he had cards in the 2021 inaugural release of Super Glow. And he, his cards were hyped up at that time. Victor Hovland is a guy who's been absolutely eating up courses, chewing up the field and spitting them out. But back in 2021, Victor Hovland could barely you know, stand up to Will Zalatoris. They were both absolutely hot players, but I would say Will Zalatoris was being talked about more. And now the script has totally flipped. So I have no idea if Super Glow cards are going to be worth anything in the future. I don't know what the horizon is for that brand. Uh, Obviously, back then, in 2021, the whole sports card market was a bubble. Uh, These guys didn't have any upper deck cards, so Super Glow was the only option. So naturally, um, you know, the price is plummeted since then and and, and there was also this natural cool-off period because any new product that comes out has high prices for the the chase players and it just cools off over time what i want to do for next episode is take a look at super glow as a manufacturer you know they're, they're an unlicensed product like leaf but maybe that's fine for golf where we don't have team logos and uh brand and and uh, licensing doesn't really matter necessarily. Some people would say it does matter that Upper Deck has the PGA license, but with the way the world of golf is going, is PGA even going to exist past next year? Of course they're going to exist, but are they just going to be owned by the public investment firm of Saudi Arabia? And they're just going to be 
where the live golf players go to play when they want to get some extra reps in, but it's not where they make their their big money. And you know what? There's a lot of directions that this could go. So all that is to say, maybe these super glow cards will turn into something. I wouldn't hold out hope. I wouldn't put my money in them unless I absolutely wanted one. But they look awesome. Um, And back in 2021, the market was at an all-time high. So, you know, the cards seem to be short printed. Um, After some time, we realized that they were just printing tons of -of one-of-ones in different colors, stylings. And there wasn't a checklist that I could find. So we don't know what's out there. And collectors are still today getting to know Superglow as a manufacturer. So what I want to do is dive a bit deeper into Superglow next episode and use Will Zalatoris and Victor Hovland as a couple of guys to produce data points and analyze how Superglow's prices and desirability, because at the end of the day, I'm not looking at this from an investment point of view i'm looking at this as a desire point of view and that's in my eyes what prices represent so i want to see how the prices of wills alatoris have fluctuated since his super glow cards came out and how that was affected by release date by overall market trends by the release of his upper deck cards and compare that to how victor hovland's super glow cards have gone up and down. Uh, Now, Victor doesn't have upper deck cards yet, but they were announced that he'll have them next year. So, you know, that may be an inflection point for his cards to have changed in price. Um, If collectors know, they're going to be able to get their hands on his stuff relatively soon. But we'll leave that for next week. And with that, let's launch into Card of the Week. Card of the Week is the 2022 Skybox Metal Universe Champions. Will Zalatoris Precious Metal Gems. And this is the red retro PMG. Now, this year, for some reason, has two different retro PMGs, which really rubs me the wrong way. I mean, the the whole point of having a retro checklist is to say, let's take these cards and give them stylings from when this insert set first came out. And in PMG terms, that would be in 97, 98. And of course, it does have those stylings, but they created two different versions of it. Now, the only real difference on the front is that the actual name, uh, Will Zalatoris, has this kind of more bubbly Miami Vice kind of vibe to it. Uh, whereas the other version has that more sharper metal universe kind of uh, design. Uh, so on the front, they actually look pretty similar other than, you know, this one's a bit softer. I have the the Miami Vice type. Uh, and on the back, um, it's got this, it, it just feeds right into the Miami Vice theme, if I'm if I'm not going to lie. This is, this reminds me of like Grand Theft Auto, um, shoot, Vice, Grand Theft Auto Vice City. That's what this reminds me of. It's got this pink color, uh, nightlife kind of design. Uh, it says Will Zalatoris with golf written in pink underneath, and the pink has this sexy cursive font. The card is serial numbered 45 out of 100. I'm I'm happy to own this card. I mean, I, I bought this from a seller in China, and I believe I talked a bit about a Chinese uh, purchase I made in the last episode, or maybe the one before that. And this is another one, and it's, it's this trend that's that seems to be uh, more and more common in my collecting. These Chinese 
collectors or overseas collectors, sometimes it's Taiwan or, or uh, Macau or wherever, uh, these guys are actually, uh, they, they're attracted to these multi-sport sets. Goodwin Champions, uh, Metal Universe Champions, where you can get golf, hockey, basketball, football, tennis, cricket, who knows, even celebrities. And the, the, th- the reason I'm really excited about buying from there is that it comes directly to me. So for, the, for you Americans listening, when you buy a card and it shows up a week later, uh, I don't get to experience that all that often unless I buy from a Canadian seller. So if I'm buying from China, I think the shipping costs a few extra dollars, but then I don't have to pay the few extra dollars to have it processed through ship my cards in the U.S. and then wait for the card. And cards I buy from the U.S., the shipping is actually like triple what I would normally pay from, from Canada or even China in some cases. So um, I was happy to buy this card. I got it for a steal. I think I paid like $12 US or something for it. I think it, including shipping, it came out to less than $20 US. And I bought it a month ago. A second copy popped up on eBay, also an overseas Asian seller. And I bought it again for like $4.50. So the shipping ended up being $7 or $8. So the shipping was more than the card itself. So I'm, I'm going to be happy to own two copies of this card. I'll probably give them a good once over, keep the one that's in better condition and sell the other. So if any of you listeners uh, are interested in this card, let me know, uh, be aware that, I, that I'll be giving you the, the lesser condition card, but we all know that these precious metal gems cards have very poor condition. So uh, I've had, you know, I've scrutinized cards like this before and then graded them both, and they both come back PSA 7, or whatever. So, at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal. Another card I picked up recently that I'm super excited about is a Clayton Keller Rookie Auto. Um, It is the red version, numbered out of 50, and it's an on-card autograph. This is with OPG Platinum, which is... My, I guess it's my favorite set now with hockey cards and I'm pushing and pushing and pushing on Upper Deck to make an OPG Platinum version of golf cards or they can call it Upper Deck Platinum, whatever. But this technology of the Chromium cards, I want in golf and I've already reached out to somebody at Upper Deck and I'll keep harassing them and I'll try and reach out to their marketing team. Heck, maybe I'll throw together a petition and pass it around our circles because uh, I, I really want this to happen. In any case, I'm holding a player uh, on my favorite hockey team, which is the Arizona Coyotes. And this just drums up all kinds of nostalgia and memories for me because um, I partly grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, My first hockey game was the year before the Coyotes showed up to Arizona and uh, they they were selling some swag in the arena at the Phoenix Roadrunners game that I was at. And I bought a Coyotes jersey before the Coyotes, Coyotes had even ever played a game. So I have this attachment to them. I've, I've seen them play wherever I've lived um, against whatever home team is around and always gone against the grain, wearing my, my, my Coyotes jerseys, cheering on Shane Doan for his whole career, his whole 47 years that he played for the Coyotes, or that's how long it seemed anyways. So... Um, you know what, I, I'm kind of working um, on an episode about the Coyotes and my experience with them. I'm just trying to balance things because uh, the last episode was about Steve Nash and my basketball experience, and I don't want to jump straight in from that into hockey because 
I think a lot of my listeners, a lot of you guys out there, uh, like golf and you're looking for golf stuff. So I'm going to kind of sprinkle in these other sports as they come. But just know that there is a hockey episode coming. Uh, It'll be about the Coyotes for the most part. And uh, this Clayton Keller, he's the best player on the Coyotes. And I have one of his, in my opinion, best cards. This is not one of his best cards, like objectively. Like, of course, he's got a ton of RPAs and one of ones and whatever over the years. But in terms of like an attainable card this is this is right up there so um it looks stunning i am pumped about it uh yeah this this is kind of card that just gives me the feels like i just want to sit here all night and and stare at it but uh, i guess that's why i call the show show fondling cardboard because i'm just sitting here wiggling my fingers around this little piece of cardboard and the awkward part is it's an athlete who is uh he's he's my junior He, he he's younger than me so uh, maybe not a guy I'd approach in person holding, you know, my, my card and pen saying, can you sign this card for me? You know, that, that can be reserved for, for the athletes like Shane Doan, who, who have a few years over me. But anyways, I'm pumped to collect him. I've got some other Shane Doan cards coming in the mail that I look forward to talking to when I finally get to that episode. That's probably a wrap for the the card chatter. I forget if I introduced this segment as Collector's Corner, but that was it. That was Collector's Corner. And we're going to finish off with today's quote. But before I get there, could you just share this episode with a friend? I would really love if everyone you know, your mother, your dog. No, I'm just kidding. If you could share this with another collector, someone who would get a kick out of these stories, um, you know, some of the the tips and tricks I talk about with collecting, that would be greatly appreciated. If you could just get one more listener for me, I would be ecstatic. So today's quote is by George R.R. Martin, who wrote a Game of Thrones series. And he said, never forget what you are, for surely the world will not. Make it your strength. Then it can never be your weakness. Armor yourself in it, and it will never be used to hurt you. And that's what I did with my fish hat. I, I said, I'm goofy. I'm a weirdo. And I'm just going to throw it all out there for the world to see. And then it's okay. I can be part of the laugh. I can allow this to become part of my identity. Will Zalatoris, man... I never really saw you lean into that Happy Gilmore's caddy meme, for lack of a better word. Maybe you did. I mean, I don't know you on a personal level. But if I were you, I would go back to those roots when you first came onto the PGA Tour where you were like an underdog. Nobody had expectations for you and you were just blowing it out of the water. And now that expectations have built back up, you can go back to your identity and say, I'm that, you know, young, lanky kid who can just stripe the ball is a bundle of confidence, even though I haven't fully proven myself yet. Because otherwise you're at risk of going down Daniel Berger's path. And for you listeners out there, whatever your quirk is, own it. I look forward to talking to you again next week.